What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 18 of Preloaded, the podcast dedicated to previewing and talking about all of the biggest and most exciting upcoming video games. My name is Josh Finderup, and I am joined, as always, by the other half of Preloaded, Jackson Vanover. How are you doing this week, Jackson? I'm doing great, Josh. Uh, my hype is at an all-time high. We are recording right before Cyberpunk comes out, and so, yeah, I just can't wait to play that game. Yeah, we are going to talk about Cyberpunk. We're going to talk about the reviews that came out and all of the stuff that goes along with that. We're also going to talk about a Halo info drop that just happened yesterday as we're recording this. So we've got a lot to talk about. You want to stick around. Oh, we also have a discussion about reviews in general with everything that did happen around the Cyberpunk reviews. We want to answer the question, should you pay attention to video game reviews in general. So a very interesting discussion there. You'll want to stay tuned for all of that. But first, Preloaded posts every Friday on both of our YouTube channels. I am Quest Mode on YouTube, and J Jackson is JV, J-A-Y-V-E-E. So if you want to watch, you can check it out there. You can also listen to Preloaded on the audio platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you are listening on any of those platforms, we'd love for you to post a review if you're enjoying the podcast. That's probably the biggest thing you can do to help us grow our audience there. You can also write into Preloaded at the email address preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. We welcome all of your feedback and your comments, but we'd also love to get your questions. At the end of every show, we dig into our mailbag and answer one of the questions that you guys write in to us. So if there's anything you want to hear us talk about on the next week's show, write in to preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. And speaking of questions, we are going to kick things off as we always do with our segment, Who the Hell Are These Guys? This is where Jackson and I answer a question about our gaming history, our gaming preferences, to help you, the audience, get to know us better. And Sticking on the theme of reviews this week, Jackson, do you personally use reviews to help you decide whether or not to buy a video game? So, Josh, this may surprise people. Um, I don't think that reviews really impact my decision to buy games. And that is because I'm in a unique position, right? As someone who generally does review games and sometimes gets them early, Um but when I am watching someone else's review, I, I think I, I do get information out of it. It depends on what kind of review it is, right? But yeah. for me, I feel like in my head, I make that decision. Um, and, and it's based on my personal preferences and so on and so forth. It's a, If it's a game that I'm like on the fence about, though, or it's off my radar and I see like a really good review for it, like Hades, for example, that's a game I never would have touched on my own had I not watched great reviews that exposed it for me. Then, yes, that does help me decide to buy a game. But generally speaking, I would say no. Yeah, for me... For the most part, I don't use reviews to buy a game. However, similar to you, if a game is either off my radar or I'm on the fence, then sometimes they do. Like The Pathless is a great example where I remember saying actually on this show before it came out, I said, if that game reviews well, I'll check it out. 
uh, because yeah. it wasn't something that I felt was necessarily essential for me to play to, you know, a lot of times I'll squeeze games in so they fit into the my uh, game of the year discussion at the end of the year. That's a game that because it reviewed well, I do want to play it. I do want to see what it's all about. Uh, Call of the Sea is another game that's reviewing. Kind of, well, we'll get, we'll get into that, but based on how it's reviewing, I think I'll play it. So for those games that kind of fall on the fringe of whether, you know, am I going to play it? Am I not going to play it? And I'm not really sure. Yes, I use reviews. But if it's a game like um, any of the big tentpole releases, I'm, I'm going to play those no matter what. Avengers is a great game, a great example of a game that no matter how it was going to review, I was going to play it. Sure enough, it didn't review very well, but I still played it. Right. I, I think we're in similar boats. I did like want to ask you a second question here. I just thought of has a review for a game that you're really hyped for, like a bad review, just made you decide, like, I'm not going to buy this game because it reviewed so badly? Huh. I Nothing is coming to mind off the top of my head right now. You know, I feel like this used to happen more often. I feel like AAA developers really have a good handle on how to make a decent game nowadays. That's not to say they don't miss, but... um. You know, maybe Avengers is a good example. I was really excited for that game. I love the superhero genre, and that is a game that going into the review cycle, I kind of expected them to be lower, but I had kind of high hopes that maybe they would be better than I expected, and they weren't. So that's right. the one that comes to mind. Back in the day, there were games like, um, you know, I'm going to mention on this show later on, Tomb Raider is a, fr- is a franchise I've always loved. And way back in the day when they got into Tomb Raider 3 and 4, those games just kind of dropped off in terms of their quality, and that was a major disappointment. But that doesn't really happen as much, I don't feel, anymore. How about you? Yeah, it's funny. I asked that question, and I can't think of it anything either, any specific example. Um, but I feel like I it used to be that way. It used to be the fact that this game really caught my eye, and I was really excited for it. But then, man, it just was registering like sixes and sevens. And then that just really disappointed me. I think that probably has to do with my evolution, I guess, as a gamer. I I kind of know now what to expect from games. And I think you're right, too, that the quality bar has risen as well. Yeah, and I will say that if a game is shaping up to be just my type of game, even if it gets sevens, that's not necessarily a disappointment because I've played plenty of sevens that I would rate much higher. I mean, that's we'll, we'll get into that discussion later on. But a seven to me isn't, doesn't disqualify a game just means that reviewer didn't like it as much as I might like it or vice versa. Right. I think that's a fair point. Yep. So that is our, who the hell are these guys segment. We're now going to move on to out this week where we look at the games coming out the week that following the week we post the podcast. So the following Monday through Friday. And if you are playing cyberpunk, you might want to finish that game pretty soon because there are some major releases coming out this week that you'll want to make time for, starting with Collection of Saga Final Fantasy Legend, which is a re-release of the Game Boy Final Fantasy games from way back in the day. So like I said, you know, you might have to push Cyberpunk aside for this. That comes out Tuesday, December 15th. And then on Wednesday, December 16th, we've got MXGP 2020 which comes out for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Of course, I'm kidding. These games are, uh, you know, more for the the niche audience uh, or niche, niche. I always wonder how you say that. <laughs> Anyways, any thoughts on these, Jackson? Um, no, uh, <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah. I wasn't even going to make a joke there because I, I love the buildup that you, you uh, created there for us. No, not going to be playing these. Uh, my schedule is full of cyberpunk. 
Yep. Yep. And speaking of, we're now going to move on to our review roundup where we look at the games that came out the prior week and how they're reviewing on Open Critic. And this week, Cyberpunk reviews uh, definitely popped and there was a ton of controversy around these. Well, there was some controversy, but overall, the game is reviewing pretty much as I expected. It's got a critic average of 92% and a recommended score of 97%. So if that holds, this will definitely be one of the highest rated games of the year. Then we have Destiny 2 Beyond Light. The reviews for that have finally uh, started coming in, and that has got a critic average of 71% and a recommended score of 49%. So mixed reviews there. And then Call of the Sea, that game we mentioned last week that is an Xbox series well, I think it's just an Xbox and PC exclusive where it's this puzzle adventure game. It is getting a critic average of 76% and a recommended score of 40%. And I've looked and those reviews are all over the all over the place. Uh, so any any thoughts here on the reviews of the week, Jackson? Yes, uh, I just did a quick search as you were uh, sharing those scores there for Cyberpunk or for CDPR rather. The Witcher 3 had uh, has, on Open Critic, 92% critic average and a recommended of 95%. Now, I'm not going to read into the 2% disparity there, but it's amazing to me that the scores are spot on there. And yeah. the perception around the gaming community, obviously, the past ever since The Witcher 3 came out is that it is like a masterpiece. Yep. And Cyberpunk, um, I don't think everyone... It's, the consensus doesn't seem to be... is that it's as much of a masterpiece. And we'll get to that later. But fascinating to see those numbers line up that way. Destiny 2 is interesting to me. And I I think the longer this game is out, uh, Destiny and Bungie and what they're doing there with a live service game, the more it kind of just feels like it's made specifically for Destiny 2 players. Like if you don't play Destiny 2, this is not really going to interest you. I could be wrong there, but that's my vibe. And that's why I think those scores are the way the where they are. Um, and then Call of the Sea. Yeah, I, I'm interested in this game. I don't think I'll pick it up, but I want to hear what, what you think when you play it. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it's right up my alley, my type of game. So I'm happy to see that some people at least are really liking it. And I will definitely, it's on Game Pass, so I'll pick it up and uh, download it and, and report back next next week. Awesome. And with that, we are going to take our first break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the week in previews, which this week it's kind of also the week in reviews because we are going to discuss the cyberpunk reviews. But you want to stay tuned for that. We'll see you in a minute. And we're back. We are now going to get into our week in previews, starting off with a review. So this is a bit different this week, as I had just mentioned We are going to take a significant amount of time to talk about cyberpunk reviews since this game is such a massive release, Uh, not only the biggest game of this year, but of maybe even the last several years. And the reviews came out not without some controversy. All the reviews you've seen, at least prior to the game's release date, or maybe even prior to today, which is Wednesday, they were all based off the PC version because... CDPR did not release any console codes. As a result, you know, Jackson and I both requested, at least I requested a console version. I didn't get a code, so we haven't played the game. Uh, the other thing that is definitely a common thread amongst all these reviews, whether that people liked it or didn't, is that the game seems to be quite buggy, at least prior to any patches coming out. So keep that in mind. Um I do want to read some of the uh, excerpts from reviews that I found interesting, and I kind of tried to get some from reviews that 
were really high on the game. And then uh, I took an excerpt from one review that was uh, more of a kind of a, well, about a 7 out of 10. So here we go. Game Informer, which gave the game a 90 out of 100, one of the things that their reviewer said was, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with Night City in Night City, and Johnny Silverhand is a great partner to see the sights with. Cyberpunk 2077 doesn't overstay its welcome with its critical path story and invites players to jack in and stay for hundreds of hours of unique content should they want to. It didn't blow me away like The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, but it's still a hell of an opening to what will hopefully be a new series. And then VG247 gave the game a 5 out of 5 rating, and they said, In the midst of such intense anticipation and scrutiny, it's easy to get carried away with what Cyberpunk 2077 could have been. The final experience might be more familiar than many predicted, with plenty of elements that aren't perfect, but it's dripping with detail and engaging stories. With so much to see and do, Cyberpunk 2077 is the kind of RPG where you blink and hours go by, which is just what we need to finish off 2020. And then GameSpot gave the game a 7 out of 10, and I have noticed that there's some kind of uh, unfortunate controversy going around surrounding this review, but that aside, here's what uh, the review said. Your mileage may vary, but in our experience, the bugs are obtrusive and substantial across the board, often forcing us to reload uh, reload saves or exit the game entirely. It's hard to get really into a world you constantly have to leave, but then it's hard to get into Cyberpunk 2077's world in general. So much of it's superficial. So much of it is superficial set dressing, and there's so much happening all around you. Ads going off at all times, gunfights breaking out in the streets, text coming in about cars you'll never buy, and a lot of the game feels superfluous. The side quests and the characters they showcase are are the shining beacon through the neon-soaked bleakness of Night City, and they give you room to explore the best the core RPG mechanics have to offer. These are what carried me through an otherwise disappointing experience. So I'm going to stop talking now, Jackson. Uh, Were there any initial thoughts you had about the reviews for Cyberpunk? Yes, and kind of building off of what I said earlier in our who the hell are these guys, it seems like it's score-wise landing around the Witcher 3 Wild Hunt um, but people are saying that it isn't as good as The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, which kind of, that's something that I expected. Um, I think The Witcher 3 is just one of those unique games that is going to get universe, almost universal praise uh, for, for years to come, and that was a lot to live up to. And also the hype was just way, 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 way too high for this game. Um, and, and I'm not like making concessions for how it might have turned out. It definitely does seem that the bugs are an issue, which I really do not like bugs in my games. So that is something that I hope doesn't sour my experience. Um, and, and I wanted to sidebar about this GameSpot review. I, I do not want to spend any time on this, I promise. But the ugliness that has come from that review is really sad to see. Um, yep. I just hope our general gaming community can... Uh, pinpoint the people that are uh, stirring that up and just report them. I mean, it's very, very unfortunate. But um, I, I, I do think there is some value in that review in that, you know, it, it's it's absolutely not a perfect video game. And it's also not a video game for absolutely everyone. I think that's right. been my main takeaway is that this is not going to be the universal uh, game like some people thought it might be. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think one thing of value from that review that I got was like, if you are a, I mean, 
I would I would recommend everyone to go watch that review and, and check it out. But one thing I took away from it is like if you're a gamer who likes to mainline a quest and you don't like to do the side quests, Cyberpunk, I mean, maybe this is a given and you knew this anyways, but Cyberpunk's probably not going to be as much of a game for you as it is for people who really love to go in and do all the peripheral activities a game has to offer. It seems like this game has far more of that than it does main story content. I mean, I think I read uh, in many reviews, if not all of them, that you can complete the story with well in, in within well under 30 hours. So Right. Which is, and, you know, sorry, comparing, it to the, comparing it to The Witcher, uh, I feel like The Witcher, you had to spend at least double that to get through the main story. Yes, and I, I think CDPR has publicly said that the length of this story was a response to that. And uh, I, I know some of you listening will disagree with me, and Josh might, but I am so happy to read lines like you read from Game Informer. Cyberpunk 2077 doesn't overstay its welcome with its critical past story. That is what I want. I mean, yep. uh, a game that just did that to me that I haven't really talked about publicly a lot because I'm very positive about it. And my channel is kind of around it right now. Valhalla overstays its welcome, dude. It, it really, yeah. really does. Um, I, I don't... I, I want to be kept in the action and I like a slow burn, but at the same time, um, cyberpunk, it, it seems like it's always keeping you in the action from the streams that I've watched of people getting the game early and um, from the reviews that I've read in terms of main story. So I see that as an absolute positive. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I do think that, yeah, the game is, re- I mean, it's got a 92 on, on open critic. I think it's sitting right around there on Metacritic. So it's obviously reviewing incredibly well. I don't think that the reviews of this game are going to impact its sales. I think people are going to play this game. People are going to be playing it for a very long time. Uh, CDPR is going to support it for a very long time. So I don't think the reviews really bear much uh, relevance when it comes to how successful this game is going to be. I do think that the bugs are something to keep in mind. And yeah, I hope that the first, I think there are two patches coming before the game launches. And hopefully that fixes a lot of them. It doesn't sound like it's going to fix all of them. Um, right. But that's something that hopefully is not much of an issue once this game has been out for um, a short time. And uh, so just bear that in mind that um, if that factors into any of the reviews you're reading, that maybe that actually won't even be much of an issue once we actually get our hands on it. Oh, I absolutely hope so. Um, bugs are the one thing that can tank um, a game that without those bugs is otherwise very, very good. And CDPR has dealt with this with The Witcher 3. People forget that that was a buggy launch. Yeah, I don't recall that, but I didn't play that game at launch. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. So, anyways, we are going to talk more about reviews in our deep dive discussion later on. But we have a lot more news to get into. Uh, anything else to uh, add on to this discussion before we move on, Jackson? Oh, just that uh, this brings me back to our our initial segment. I'm reading the reviews. They make me think certain things and they add information, but I was always going to play Cyberpunk. This didn't impact my you know decision-making process. Yeah, even if this game, for whatever reason, tanked, I was going to play it. I just You got to see what the hype has been about. You got to yeah. see what CDPR has, has managed to accomplish with this game. I'm very, very curious. This isn't even the type of game that I normally would be hyped about, but... It is uh, very much something I just want to see. You know, I got to experience it for myself. uh, For sure. For a number of reasons. So, yeah, very excited to dive in tomorrow, which will be yesterday as you're all (laughs) listening to this. So hope you're enjoying your time playing Cyberpunk. 
The first bit of news, uh, other than cyberpunk reviews, is that uh, at the beginning of the week, or right after we recorded last week, Bioware uh, had a bit of a shakeup where Casey Hudson, who I believe is one of the founding members of Bioware, and then Mark Dara decided to leave the studio and all the current projects that they have been working on are, of course, continuing on. Um, but yeah, some some big news here. I know that you uh, have some history with Bioware and particularly the Mass Effect games, but you know, I love Dragon Age. That was involved here. But I may kick this over to you, Jackson, because I know you have much more background here than I do. Yes. So um, yeah, full disclosure, um, th- this doesn't, in my view, it doesn't invalidate uh, my, my opinion on this stuff, but I think it's worth mentioning to you guys that I've been an EA game changer uh, particularly for the game Anthem, but also I'm very involved in their their Mass Effect uh, stuff. Just from a like, they they realize that I like Mass Effect and I create content for Mass Effect. You know, when I when I'm interested. But anyways, uh, this is a big shocker to me. Casey Hudson, I think, is kind of considered the godfather of Mass Effect. Um, he's been there since the very first game, and he was there through the third game. Um, he obviously left, uh, but was part of Andromeda. Um, and then he came back to the studio, uh, I think either leading up to Andromeda or after. Yeah. Long yeah. story short, very influential guy. Um, and the reactions from former Bioware devs were, oh my goodness, we're shocked that this happened. Um, and same goes for Mark Dara, who's been working on Dragon Age games since Origin. and Or Dragon Age Origins. Yeah, Origins. So origins was the game that i jumped in the first one uh into that series and fell in love so uh mark dara he was someone who was going to give i feel like dragon age fans confidence in dragon age 4 and the fact that he's left at this stage where they've already kind of shown a teeny tiny bit of the game like we could see this game in the next two years for example like they're in active, active, active development. That's concerning. And we're even going to see uh, Dragon Age something for it at the Game Awards, which you guys yep. will have already seen, right? Um, and then we had news that Christian Daly, who was a very active part of the Anthem Next development, he is stepping into Mark Dara's position as EP on Dragon Age 4. So that's like another shakeup. So I think like Josh said when he introed this topic, there's just a lot being shaken up and it's hard to come away from this news with any confidence. Yeah, that's when I read this and my first gut reaction was, you know, uh-oh, this does <laughs> not look that good. Um, yeah. You know, I feel like uh, Casey Hudson was brought on. It was after, I believe, the launch of Andromeda, mm-hmm. which was the first kind of sign of trouble at Bioware. And he was kind of brought on, at least my perception was, to right the ship. And yes. so now that he's leaving, um, you know, it doesn't look good. My other gut reaction is that, and this is just kind of based on my own perceptions of how the industry works. I feel like this might have something to do with how EA is running things, but I don't know that. And just, I just have a negative perception of, of Bioware since the EA acquisition. And so, you know, I, I wonder if that is the case. I don't know. Maybe who knows? I, I, I read another article or heard another podcast, I think, where someone said, you know, we just don't know. Maybe people in Bioware are actually happy that this is happening for whatever reason. I doubt that, but um, just want to make the point that it's all speculation at this point <laughs> as to what's going on over there. Yeah, uh, it is. And also, I, I made a video about this, and I tried to point out the fact that we mythologize icons like Casey Hudson and Mark Dara 
um, and their contributions. Like, obviously, having someone at the head of a project is hugely important. Josh and I know that, I'm sure. Um, but these teams are made of <laughs> so many more people. I mean, to say that losing one of these people is just going to tank the next game is jumping the gun. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, we'll see Dragon Age at uh, the Game Awards. Hopefully it looks great. Um, it'll be, uh, you know, interesting to see. Maybe we'll get a release window for that game. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I didn't see many people uh, jumping for joy at this news. So we'll we'll see, you know, within the coming year or two, if it, just how things, uh, how things pan out with some of these games. Yeah. Starting with the legendary edition of Mass Effect that comes out, you know, early next year. Yes, we should be seeing more about that, hopefully very soon. Yep. So moving on, we also got a big Sony trailer that dropped uh, a PlayStation 5. Well, it's actually more of just a PlayStation trailer that dropped where Sony kind of uh, um, teased a lot of their upcoming games, including a bunch of exclusives and even non-exclusives. But we're going to rattle through this pretty quickly um, to get through it all. But the games that were highlighted are uh, Horizon 2 Forbidden West, and we got uh, a kind of a re-confirmation that that game is coming in 2021. A lot of this was in the fine print at the bottom of the screen. They showed, you know, release windows for a lot of the games. So anyways, Horizon Forbidden West coming in 2021, which we knew. Gran Turismo 7 also coming in 2021, which the previous trailer, I believe, said early 2021 or first half of 2021. So now that is just a vague release window for the entire year. And it is not, apparently not coming to the PS4 if this trailer is to, uh, you know, if, if it, what it said was just that this is a PlayStation 5 exclusive. And whereas other games said it's coming out on the PlayStation 4 as well, that was not there for Gran Turismo 7. So it appears to me that Gran Turismo 7 is a pure PlayStation 5 exclusive. Next, we saw Deathloop, which says coming in 2021, which is interesting because that game actually has a release date. I believe it's in May <laughs> of 2021. May, I don't know the exact date, but... I think it's, yeah, May 21st. Yep. Um, but we got the information that that will be a 12 months, uh, an exclusive for 12 months on PlayStation 5, which is interesting because that actually is now an Xbox Game Studios game. Uh, next, Project Athia which is a very interesting looking game that we haven't seen any gameplay for, at least I don't believe we have. Uh, this is being, quote, in development for the PlayStation 5, I believe is what the trailer said specifically. But it's also coming to PC. Uh, and then on other consoles, it's coming 24 months after the PlayStation and I believe the PC release as well. So that's a really interesting timed exclusive. I don't know if we've ever seen anything in the 24-month window as far as a timed exclusive. Next, Ghostwire Tokyo, another Bethesda slash Xbox Game Studios game is coming out in 2021. It's also a 12-month exclusive. And then, oh yeah, I do want to mention Ghostwire Tokyo and Deathloop do not appear to be coming to last gen. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about that, but I did look into it and I believe from the, the pre-order situation on their websites, it doesn't look like these are coming to last gen, which is interesting. Uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart is coming in 2021. That should be early 2021. If uh, everything that we've gotten previously is to be believed, then um, Godfall is apparently an exclusive through May tw uh, 12th, which is a random date of 2021. Destruction All-Stars coming 2021. That's going to be a PS5 
exclusive only, not on last gen, and that's also going to be on PlayStation Plus. And then Resident Evil Village coming in 2021. Whew, that was a lot. Um, <laughs> any thoughts here, Jackson? Um, Sony and PlayStation, they need to stop doing this. Um, that That's my main gut takeaway. They have caused more confusion, at least for me, um, because of their inconsistency with labeling certain things. And um, like, I get that certain, like, per marketing and probably agreements that they signed, they have to put 12-month exclusive and 24-month exclusive, so on and so forth. But there's so many inconsistencies here. Why did we get a trailer just not, what, like a month ago that said some games were coming out early 2021 and now they're coming out just 2021? So I just generally, this throws me for a loop. I I don't love when uh, there's so much inconsistency like this. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I feel like instead of just reading all that off, I should have just said, go watch the trailer and read the fine print and you'll <laughs> probably have as just as good of an idea as anyone. It is very confusing and they do seem to like their their exclusives, which are great, but they're timed exclusives, man. They're really, it, it reminds me of what they did with Avengers, uh, which is a bit of a different ball of wax, but they really like right. their timed exclusives and, you know, they probably make some money off of it, so you can't blame them, but uh, it is confusing. Yes, and uh, I mean, I, I it was good to see more of Ghostwire Tokyo. We haven't seen that in a while, um, so I was glad to see that. Um, Project Athea continually looks just very intriguing. I, I don't really know what's going on with that game, but every time I see it, I'm I'm intrigued. So I want to see more about that. Uh, but yeah, that that was about it. I, I I was expecting more Horizon gameplay actually, but then it clicked to me like, oh no, that's going to be on its own stage. That game is just too big to be thrown into a little trailer like this yeah when it comes to these montage trailers i don't really expect to see a ton of new info so i wasn't Mm -hmm. really surprised there but and i was happy to see that they are just kind of reaffirming that hey 2021 is looking to be a banger of a year if you do have uh either i mean in this case either a playstation 4 or a playstation 5 so that's good to see. yes that's that's a great point yeah and uh speaking of the opposite of montage trailers dedicated game trailers we got a Hitman 3 gameplay trailer this week. It's three minutes long, and it looks awesome, if you ask me. I really love Hitman, so this is one of my most anticipated games of next uh, next year. And rather than me rattle off everything, I just want to kick it over to you, Jackson. What was your uh, reaction to this trailer? So you being the Hitman fan... Um, <laughs> maybe I should, maybe for, I should go into it. Well, no, I just... I The reason I said that is because... Up to this point, I actually wasn't super like, oh my gosh, Hitman 3. This trailer, man, this got me. And I think it was because uh, it, it was a very specific trailer. Up to this point, we'd gotten, I feel, more like teaser trailer content. Yeah. This just blew the doors off. It actually reminded me of what the newer Hitman games have offered. Just that yeah. completely black box open uh, experience and next gen and you know, high-end PCs are going to take advantage of it. It looks amazing, Josh. Yeah, the biggest uh, surprise for me, even though the previous trailers have looked good, but it was how great the game looks. This looks like it's definitely getting a major visual overhaul, even though it's on the same engine as the previous games. It just looks really good. But yeah, the gameplay looks to be spot on, uh, nailing what the previous two in the series did, just letting you tackle these assassination assignments in any way that you want if you want to push someone down an elevator shaft you can do that if you want to poison their meal you can do that if you want to snipe them from a distance you can do that and that's what i love about the hitman games like 
And then when it went into the 20 different mastery tiers that you can unlock per level that I don't play games multiple times usually, but I played each level in Hitman 1 and 2, at least the ones that I played, over and over again because they give you, each time you you complete it, it unlocks new uh, things you can do depending on how you did it the previous time. So it's really encouraging of multiple playthroughs. I love it. Can't wait for this game. Yeah, it looks to be nailing everything. There are a few new gameplay elements like a new camera that you can use and stuff like that. But overall, I will be definitely, I actually am planning on doing some coverage on my channel of this game. It might take me a while to get to, but look forward to that if you're a Hitman fan. So um, yeah, it looks great. Yeah, I'll definitely be looking out for that on your channel. I, I want to learn more about Hitman 3, but I'm probably not going to take the time to look into stuff for myself. Um, but I just wanted to say the thing you said about um, replayability, I'm right there with you. It's hard for me to like justify playing a game more than once, but almost like a roguelike, I don't really want to keep slapping that comparison on every yeah. single game, but it, it feels like that in this game. You are constantly making progress by playing more in the same levels, but there's so much variability and agency in what you're able to do that uh, it, it just sounds rewarding to even talk about. So I I, I want to be that kind of Hitman 3 um, you know, consumer, I guess, <laughs> when I play that game. I want to replay these levels and unlock the new starting locations and so on and so forth. Yeah, like just before we move on, one real quick example. I think it was in Hitman 1. You go into this guy's mansion and you can kill him in like the some regular old room of his mansion, you know. But as you get there, you work your way through a planetarium that he has, which is this awesome looking room with this big telescope. And um, it's just kind of randomly there that you work your way through it. But the game lets you know that you can assassinate this guy in his planetarium. And I just, I remember <laughs> thinking, well, I got to see how that plays out. And that's right. how the game kind of teases you into these multiple playthroughs of the levels. It's just really fun. Ah, I can't wait. Yep. So anyways, we also got a big update on Halo Infinite. This, uh, I think this was just yesterday as well, which would be Tuesday. Um, they re released a blog post on their official website, uh, 343 did, and it had a ton of information. Um, the biggest piece is that we are now, we now know that they are aiming for a fall 2021 release. So hopefully they hit that. It's worth noting that November 15th of 2021 is the 20th anniversary of Halo. So that would seem fitting, but nothing has been confirmed that specifically. We just know that it's coming in fall of 2021. The other things that this blog post highlighted is that they are definitely focusing a lot of their extra time on improving the visuals, both the uh, graphic fidelity of the game and they're tweaking the art style, which if you've followed Halo or video games in general, you know that was a big criticism of the gameplay reveal. They even mentioned that Craig, that brute that looked so lifeless in those screenshots, that they even addressed him saying that facial animations are getting a huge... Um, you know, upgrade from what we've seen. They also revealed a multiplayer map, not the map itself, but they've revealed screenshots of this kind of uh, interior warehouse looking multiplayer map, which does look to me, if these screenshots are indicative of what the game's going to look like, it does look like it's received some uh, upgrades or a lot of upgrades in terms of the visual fidelity. Um, and next we got to see some customization features or they talked about rather some customization features, specifically, um, I'll call them skins, but they're referring to it as a coding, quote, coding system where you'll get to really vary your, not just the color of skins of not of, of armor, but also guns and other environmental like um, 
vehicles, I guess, you'll also get to adjust like the, the wear and tear. So that kind of covers a lot of what they talked about. Did you read this post? It was super long, Jackson. Don't know I didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I couldn't justify taking the time to do it, just working on other things. But um, yeah, for me, big takeaway, uh, as you guys know, I have an underdog complex and Halo Infinite was has been the underdog ever since that gameplay dropped. So for me, I was like, you know, come on, show us something awesome. And I feel like they really did. I mean, this... If you look at these screenshots, uh, screenshots I know can change. They're not always indicative, but man, the models that they showed off really looked stellar uh, and, and got me excited for Halo Infinite. So I really do hope that the next time they show this game, they absolutely make sure that it's in a place to be shown. Um, and I think that was just a mistake that they made when they showed gameplay. Yeah, I actually, to that point, I was thinking, why why release this in a big, huge, long blog post and not show something more visually interesting? But, you know, I think that they're really, they learned their lesson. Like, let's not show yeah. stuff until it's absolutely ready. So I think this was a smart move for them to do it this way. I think so, too. And also, it was kind of a smart move for them to almost, like, shadow drop this. Um, yeah. they, they really put it in a time where other games are dominating the news cycle. And so... And why why is that a positive? I, I just don't think that they need more negative attention. Um, I just think they should have dropped this for the people that are actively looking for it, not as a big, huge tentpole event. So yeah. I think they did the right thing here. Yep. And we'll surely see more Halo in the coming months, I would imagine, of very latest, you know, maybe summer. But I think we'll see stuff before then. Um, I think so, too. Yeah. So that covers all the major news of the week. We do have a bunch of quick hits here. Uh, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time remake is delayed until March 18th, 2021. I believe that was set for February or maybe it was, it was January. January. Oh, yeah, so, it was a two-month delay. Yeah, two-month delay, but that's, I mean, fine by me. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to play this, but uh, if you haven't played any of these games, I highly recommend it. Next, Persona 5 Strikers is coming to Switch. This was a leak that uh, unfortunately happened. This was likely going to get announced at the Game Awards, uh, but this is coming to Switch on February 23rd, 2021. If you're unfamiliar, this is the kind of Musou-style Persona 5 uh, spinoff. Next, uh, a, an ex-Naughty Dog employee, Quentin Cobb, who worked on Uncharted 4 and The Last of Us, uh, posted to Twitter that he is joining ZeniMax Online to work on an, I quote, new unannounced AAA IP. So if you are a fan of what ZeniMax Online has done with uh, The Elder Scrolls, um, look forward to a t an entirely new AAA IP from them at some point in the future. And next, and lastly, uh, there was a hidden message. We're going back to Cyberpunk. We're coming full circle here. <laughs> um, Cyberpunk released, a, or CDPR released a launch trailer for Cyberpunk 2077, and embedded in that is one frame that has a hidden message saying, in part, it was a long message, but part of it said, quote, just like The Witcher 3, expect an assortment of free DLC packs to begin hitting Night City, dropping a bunch of cool stuff, That'll inject even more life into the world of the dark future. And it did say that this will start in early 2021. So look for free DLC to Cyberpunk in early 2021. Yes. And if I'm remembering correctly, I was actually just looking it up to, to make sure. The Witcher 3's free DLC was awesome. Just like different outfits, uh, just things that are very uh, low maintenance, I would say. Uh, and, and little quests and stuff. So this is not stuff that... Uh, super changes your experience but just kind of sweeten it sweetens it which i think is what free dlc should be yeah yeah and cdpr 
uh, say what you will about how the reviews went, but they are famous for just really supporting their games and creating mm-hmm. DLC that is uh, worthwhile. Um, you know, their paid DLC obviously is known for that as well, but the free DLC is always a nice touch uh, for a game, for a AAA game like this. Absolutely. So we are now going to move on to our deep dive discussion. And this week, you know, we've kind of touched on this already, but we are going to dive deeper into this question, should we all as gamers pay attention to game reviews or do we maybe put too much emphasis on how a game reviews before it comes out? And uh, I am going to kick this over to you, Jackson, to start us off. You know, what are what are your thoughts on this this question? So I think that game reviews generally fall victim to um, anything uh, that involves a lot of people talking about one topic. And what I mean by that is like groupthink. Um, I think game reviews are very victim, uh, a victim to that. Uh, just the psychology of, you know, humans talking about certain things. And um, so I think that's something that we always have to consider. And we see it with almost every single game. Um, and that brings me also to the fact that I think reviews, we just need to always remember when we're reading reviews that they're uh, absolutely biased. <laughs> they're one yeah. person's um, opinion, and that specific person's opinion is always based on the collection of their own experiences. And I know I'm getting into the weeds here, but I think it's just so important to remember that when you are looking at reviews and don't let a review bum you out. I think reviews are supposed to be seen as sort of like an appetizer for a game uh, rather than informing on exactly what that game is supposed to deliver for you as a gamer. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to think that, um, yeah, we forget that they are biased and a lot of people, um, I think there is a vocal minority on the internet that that uh, gets way too bent out of shape. You know, I'd like to think that it's not the majority those people who get bent out of shape because like one review is really low, as we saw with uh, GameSpot Cyberpunk review. And by the um, way, seven out of ten is people are calling that really low. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for Cyberpunk, <laughs> I mean, I, I can kind of understand where people are coming from when they were surprised to see that score. But you're absolutely right. Um, and you know, I think that those people who get bent out of shape are putting far too much emphasis on a review score, like. Just because you maybe spent $60 on a game, don't let a review validate or invalidate your purchase. Like You should play the game and decide for yourself. And that's one thing that I want to bring up. When I started reviewing games, I haven't reviewed a ton of games, but I have done some reviews. I realized just how good a 7 out of 10 is. Uh, Like I reviewed a game, a little indie game called uh, uh, Spirit of the North on my channel. I gave it a 7 out of 10, but I really liked my time with that game. It just had a, some issues that prevented me from scoring it higher. I actually would totally recommend that game, but watch the review, listen to the review, not just that one, but any review you pay attention to because they'll tell you why it it got the score it got. And there may be reasons in there that you hear and you're like, oh, that speaks directly to me. This is my type of game. I can put up with all these bugs or whatever it is that brought the score down. So there's that. And just when when I started reviewing games it showed me that yeah i guess i've already said this but just that uh, uh, like a what some people might cons- consider a middling review score it's it's really a good score like like a 7 or even an 8 you know um right p- 
and if you if you like a certain genre of games, then pay attention to that. Call of the Sea, great example. It's getting pretty mixed reviews, some even really bad reviews. But I know that game, or I shouldn't say I know, I feel that game is going to speak to me. So I'm going to play it, and I expect to like it. Sure, yeah. I, I think that's a really important thing to remember. Um, and one thing I will say, I know we kind of run our own little independent show here. We're not part of some big uh, publication. Um, and I don't mean to dunk on big publications. I really don't. But I really do feel that smaller, more independent reviewers tend to uh, nail yep. reviews more often. And the only reason I'm saying that is because these people are going out on their own and deciding to do these reviews. They're not collecting a salary because they are a paid game reviewer and they were assigned a game. Um, I don't pretend to know how that process works, but I'm sure you guys know what I mean by the fact that I think that happens. I think that definitely happens. And people that maybe, for example, don't really play a lot of roguelikes might end up reviewing a roguelike for a major publication. That's something that you have to keep your eye on. Yeah, and I do. I also don't want to dunk on these big publications, but I do think that, for one, I, I want to get it straight out there. I I don't believe that any of these major outlets are paid to give any review score. I don't think that there is any sort of quid pro quo going on. <laughs> uh, full stop. However, I do think that there is some industry bias that might play into the reviews you see from these big and even little channels. It's something I think you just have to be cognizant of. I think I think the Legend of Zelda benefits and nintendo in general might benefit from some industry bias some nostalgia bias people love these franchises so they score incredibly well Mm. i do think cyberpunk probably benefited you know if this game had come out from a no-name developer that had no history i think it would have surprised a lot of people in a good way but i think the bugs probably would have factored into the review scores more than they did given that this is from cdpr now that is just my opinion that's not fact at all that's just the way i i feel so I think you need to be cognizant of that, or I should say I'm cognizant of that. If you choose to be, go right ahead. Uh, but that's something that I think does happen. I think right. it's naive to think that there are no reviews out there that don't um, uh, skew maybe a little higher or lower because of how the reviewer might feel about a particular franchise or a particular developer. And I think it swings in the other direction as well um, with negative bias. Uh, and I, I feel like almost like I've had a painted target on my back with games that I cover. Um, over my channel's lifespan, I've covered Bioware, Bethesda, and Ubisoft games. And uh, it seems like those three developers in particular, you know, EA is a publisher, but them to a larger degree as well, they have just been um, targeted, basically. And, and they... Sometimes they get a fair shake. Sometimes they don't. I, I won't sit here and defend them um, 100%. I don't work for them. I don't take money from them, like Josh mentioned. So um, the fact is, is that there's always bias. It's going to swing in one way or another. It's going to factor in some things, other things. Just be aware, um, I think, is the most important thing. Yeah, and one thing I would encourage people to do, like if you do, if if reviews purely dictate how you um, or if that's where you, if that's your main or even only source of information you use to buy games, I would encourage you to pick a game that maybe didn't review as well as you'd hoped that you wouldn't have picked up, but that does sound like a game you might like and play it and see mm-hmm. what your experience is. When I started doing that, it totally changed my perspective on reviews and really showed me that, like, like yeah, I shouldn't be um, 
if a game sounds like I might like it, I should give it a shot based off of my my past experience and maybe at the very most the collective of all the reviews out there, but certainly not based off of one or several reviews. So I would encourage you to just maybe broaden your horizons if that is how you determine what you're going to play. Because uh, if you if you do that, I feel like you're maybe selling yourself short. You might miss out on some games that you really might love. You might be the one yes. reviewer out there who gave the game a 9 out of 10 when everyone else gave it a 7 out of 10. Right. Yeah, that's true. And another thing, the people reviewing games aren't any more special than you or I or Josh or anyone. <laughs> like, yeah, yep. They're not. We're, we all just play games. We just happen to talk about them um, and be in this position. So um, also <laughs> remember that. Uh, but you, what you just said, Josh, or maybe remember Game Pass is a perfect opportunity to experiment and play yep. games really stretch out that value if you pay for a subscription and remember if you have a lull in releases like maybe you beat cyberpunk over the next month or two and then you're like oh there's no more games pick up a, a a lesser known title play it um i'm sure that you won't regret your experience because video games at the end of the day are for fun they're for entertainment yep yeah, so you know kind of put a pin on it um i think that i'm glad reviews are out there i think they serve a purpose and uh i i welcome all the reviews and i'm gonna probably keep reviewing some games in the future but overall yes i do think that we probably put too much emphasis on reviews uh we should pay attention to them but maybe not to the extent that uh, a lot of us myself included do like don't get hung up on it right um and one more thing i won't harp too long um obviously this has been overdone this conversation so i'll be quick the numerical scoring system needs to go. Mm. Um, too many major publications still use it. IGN, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at a lot of them. Um, I really do think we need to move towards using actual descriptors to quantify our games. But also, uh, I, I love the open critic system of recommendations. That is the number that I look at more, actually. When we're going yeah. through our review roundup, I'm looking at recommendations we can see some 70s but then only 46 percent recommend i play this game i mean that's something to look at um so that is one thing i would say yeah i i I will agree with you i'm not a big fan of the numbering system i do think that it is nice with the sea of games that we have out there there's so many games it is sometimes nice to be able to see okay this this game is averaging like a an 85 however i do think to a point we landed on earlier kind of alluded to that a lot of games I do feel like get sold completely short because for some reason a 7 out of 10 is considered a bad score when it's not. Um, Like maybe we need to start giving more games like lower. Like it seems like so few games ever score below like a 5 out of 10. It's like do those, is every game a 5 and above? I don't know. There seems to be some um, something missing with the numbered review score system. Yes, and I think that's also has fallen victim to bias, uh, just an industry-wide groupthink and bias. Yeah, yeah. Like a five out of 10 is basically giving a game a one. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's the worst possible thing. Like, uh, what was that shark game, Maneater? I think it Man-eater. actually scored yeah. pretty well, but like it had some low scores. But I talked to people, I have a guy in my Discord server who is just in love with Maneater. He says it's so fun. And and yep. so that's that's just highlights an issue with uh, with scoring. Yeah. So that is our discussion on uh, reviews. Uh, hopefully you found it at the very least interesting, but we'd love to hear your comments. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, drop us a comment. Let us know if you pay attention to reviews or if you think Jackson and I are full of it. Let us know. <laughs>
Um, with that, though, we are going to take our second break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about what we have been playing. We'll be right back. And we're back. We're now going to talk about the games we have been playing. Unfortunately, not cyberpunk like some people. We've been <laughs> left out uh, for better or worse. Jackson, what have you been playing? So I finally finished Valhalla this weekend. Um, I'll still be playing it, I'm sure. But um, I was really blown away by the ending. I made a video about it. Um, it really ties together a lot of loose threads and delivered on things that many people have been looking for out of this series for many years. So um, kudos to Ubisoft Montreal. I think they really made something special with the ending of that game. Nice. Awesome. Well, uh, congrats on finishing. I know you were, how many hours did you clock? <laughs> 100. 100 hours. That's Almost a big even. Game. Yeah. Yep. Well, I have been playing, uh, I finished another Ubisoft game. I finished Phoenix Rising or Immortals Phoenix Rising. Love that game. It's definitely one of my five favorite games of the year. Um, not sure where it ranks on that list, but um, just really loved it. Speaking of our previous discussion, I would score this game much higher than the average review score. So, um, Loved the exploration elements, the puzzle solving, just uh, right up my alley. And then uh, another open world game, I did finish Miles Morales. Um, rock solid gameplay in this game, but it did feel like just more of the same. So okay. um, I, uh, you know, I'm really glad I experienced it. I thought the story did some really interesting stuff. I love the villain and just how that story played out. It didn't feel like the traditional superhero, supervillain narrative. Um so, yeah, it's it's kind of one of those interesting games where similar to Ghost of Tsushima, where I kind of got into some open world fatigue with that game, the, Miles Morales is outstanding. I can't knock it. But for me personally, it, yeah, it just felt like kind of another open world uh, going through the world, checking the boxes, doing the things and moving on. So right. um, I probably won't be revisiting Miles Morales. And then I'm uh, playing, I decided to go old school. I'm playing an old school Tomb Raider game. I have it right here for my Dreamcast. <laughs> uh tomb raider the last revelation i just uh had that itch to go super actually it was last week we were talking about how tomb raider is one of my favorite franchises and sure enough i'm it this game is archaic it is it looks horrible it controls <laughs> super clunky but i'm having a ton of fun playing it just the nostalgia is uh is kicking in that's awesome man yep so that's what we have been playing we are now going to dig into our mailbag. Like we said at the top of the show, at the end of the show, we reach in and get one of our questions from a audience member and read it right here. If you want to have us read your question, we you can write in to preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. And this week, we are going once again with Brock. Brock, you always come through with good questions. <laughs> um, we encourage everyone to write in, um, but Brock has just kind of... a uh, Hit that sweet spot for us once again. And Brock asks, uh, first off, thanks for the question. This week, we found out what the exclusivity terms are for a few third-party PlayStation titles, such as Project Athia, two years, Deathloop, one year, Ghostwire Tokyo, one year. What are your thoughts on timed third-party exclusives like this? And do you think timed exclusives are good for gaming? Um, so we kind of already touched on this, but what about that last bit of the question? Are these good for gaming? Hmm, No. I don't think they are. Um, I, I generally do. I think that I always push for the democratization of video games. Um, I think that's really important that people should be able to play whatever they want on whatever platform. Obviously, we live in our world that does not exist. We can always push towards, you know, what's ideal. Um, 
So generally speaking, no, I, I don't think that timed exclusives are good for gaming, but you could argue that they do push the medium forward and we do get very interesting, unique games um, that are exclusive, particularly from Sony. Um, they've just been crushing it for feels like the last decade. So um, there's pluses on both sides, but I think for gamers, it's not a good thing. Yeah, I'm I. I don't have a whole lot to add. I think, yeah, for gamers, at least directly, I don't see how this benefits gamers mm-hmm. um, as a whole. Obviously, like, it, it benefits, I guess, maybe who gets to play the game first. But the other people, there's just no benefit there. Uh, it, there was one kind of roundabout way it might benefit gamers is it breeds competition. And competition right. is good when you have multiple uh, companies uh, pushing their platforms out there. But I, I think pure exclusives, great. You know, those... those uh, I I don't want to say I love playing exclusives because there's no real reason. Uh, it's not just because they're exclusives. I just think that that really pushes the competition in the industry and these timed exclusives less so. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. And I love exclusives, too. Um, the moment you said that, I was like, yeah. I, I mean, I love playing exclusives. Um, they are usually very good. Yeah. Yep. And well, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. Uh, that is a great question. So thanks, Brock, for writing in. And uh, again, if you want to reach us uh, for any reason, uh, you can write us at preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. And with that, we are going to wrap up the show. If you are, again, listening on any of the audio platforms, uh, please uh, drop us a review. We'd love for you to uh, even write a review, let people know why you like listening to the show. And before we... Uh, um, end things here this week. Jackson, did you have anything you want to plug on your channel? Yes. So uh, I'll, be, I'll be making something cyberpunk related. So look for that. I may be even doing some streaming um, live. If that's your thing, check me out on my channel. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm at JVonYT on Twitter and JV.YT on Instagram. Awesome. And on my channel, I have taken a little bit of a break because um, I'm planning on doing a lot of stuff after the Game Awards. One one video I'm working on is the 20 uh, biggest single-player games coming out in 2021. So if that sounds like something you'd want to watch, stay tuned to my channel. You can find me on social media. I am at Quest Mode Games on Twitter and Instagram. And with that, we are going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Again, Drop us a comment in the YouTubes if that's where you are uh, watching. We'd love to talk with you there as well. And we will see you next week. Bye, guys.